live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, again, he is the former Vice President of Government Affairs for your, your National Broadcasting Corporation and former floor chief for then Minority Leader Gerald R. Ford. He is Bob Hines. Hello, Robert. Hello, Justin. And, and to my 9 o'clock, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing the 2nd Congressional District of Washington State. He is the Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, and we know as Al Swift. Hello, Al. Hello, I'm the subdued one. The subdued one, correct. Uh-oh. And to my 11 o'clock, he is a retired one-star from your United States Navy. He is Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Ken. Hey, Justin. And to my 12 o'clock, he is the former executive director of the Democratic Party of the great state of Maryland, former 20th Century Fox lobbyist. He is Carl Tubin. Hello, Carl. Hello. And to, my, and to my 1 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce working for last count for presidents, former Senate staffer, Washington Insider. He is Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, Justin. And we have got a lot to talk about, obviously, today. Uh, the big news that everybody is still talking about, and we'll give you the latest on it. Uh, on Saturday night, about 8 o'clock, uh, a, an explosion, a bomb intentionally set in the section of Manhattan, New York City, known as Chelsea, uh, went off, injuring about 25 people. Last count, there was one still in critical condition. Uh, within three hours of that explosion, uh, a similar device, a pressure cooker device, was found not too far from the original explosion site, undetonated. It was recovered by uh, New York City Police Department and their, uh, and their uh, uh, emergency services unit. It was then rendered harmless and then taken down to Quantico for investigation. And as we talked earlier that day, a, uh, a, an explosion happened down in Seaside Park, New Jersey, Ocean County, New Jersey, prior to a Marine Corps five-mile race uh, that is now attributed to the same uh, suspect. Sunday night, 2 a.m., a, a, uh, another device was uh, found by a couple of homeless guys at the Elizabeth, New Jersey train station. That device, while being uh, quarantined by... New Jersey uh, State Police ends up going off. No, no injuries to speak of. Some damage, but within within literally 12 hours of the Elizabeth, New Jersey explosion, 
they then find and realize that a 28-year-old uh, Afghan immigrant living in Elizabeth, New Jersey, named Ahmed Rahmi. Ahmed Rahmi, 28 years old, is then uh, he is then put out on a FBI and New York Police Department list as a person of interest. Uh, 10 a.m. yesterday, a police officer from Linden, New Jersey, finds Rahmi lying sleeping in a doorway of a non-open bar. A gunfight ensues. Bottom line, Rahmi is Rahmi is is uh, is arrested, alive, brought to a, uh, brought to a hospital in Newark. He is being he was treated for gunshot wounds suffered during the gunfight with police officers in Linden, New Jersey. He is now in custody. Uh, this has now sparked, sparked a huge debate, but let's get to the bottom of this. Um, let me get to Admiral Ken first. Admiral Ken, when this first went down, it was a quick response by NYPD. They were quick to quarantine. They were quick to respond. The White Terrorism Task Force that is, includes state, local, and federal officials they were spot on on this. There's a lot of, there was a lot of criticism about the ability for law enforcement to deal with this. They did this textbook. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that completely. Um, and I think it, is, it, should not, uh, it should not be forgotten that they had a suspect identified in less than 12 hours and under arrest within 24 of the event. That's, that's amazing. That's, that, that's that shows a lot of cooperation uh, at uh, multiple levels uh, of the government and through multiple governments, uh, city, uh, multiple cities, uh, and uh, at the federal level. That's that's great. It's awesome. Al- it's Alan, Moore, work. Alan Moore, is the when this first happened, uh, Mayor Bill De Blasio, Democrat Mayor of New York, gave a press conference within a couple of hours of the explosion and came out and said that this was not necessarily an act of terrorism. At which point. Governor Cuomo of New York and several other prominent officials associated with the event said, no, this is an act of terrorism. You intentionally blow something up in a large city. You're trying to cause terror. Was Mayor de Blasio right, or did he come off the reservation? Well, he didn't come off any reservation. He just didn't get on the reservation yet. The, the politicians uh, and public officials are constantly struggling with how much to assume before you have facts and and how much to simply uh, look at the circumstances and make a guess. Donald Trump jumped in really early at the first report of an explosion, assumed it was a bomb, perhaps had been told by a staffer, oh, a bomb exploded up in so-and-so, and ran with it. We don't know. He was criticized for speaking too soon about something that was not yet fully known, De Blasio, if he did anything, was was exercising uh, 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 an extra degree of caution in not saying more than he knew. We were going to find out soon enough. Let me let me just add one thing to the to the response by the uh, by the police in in New York City, which is arguably the best um, because there's they've got a lot of experience and a lot of personnel. They were also lucky. Luck luck plays a role. In in, uh, in this stuff, um, uh, sadly, uh, you know, the, the, no one was killed, which uh, there was which no no guarantee yeah. of. Um, and then the there there were two unexploded bombs that were were in duffels or backpacks that people saw. Now, <laughs> Stephen Colbert's 
take on that, which is worth sort of reflecting on, is remember in New York, if you if you see something, steal something. And a couple of guys took these uh, facts, found out there was a bomb inside, left them behind. That was in Elizabeth, New Jersey, right. So, so you know, there, good luck, bad luck uh, is, is part is, is part of life. Now, to, to get the best, the most good luck, you got to work the hardest to know what you're doing. And, and, and kudos to the New York police for being on Congressman Al. I think part of the confusion is that we haven't actually defined specifically terrorism. It's, it, terrorism started out to be strictly state-run or run by rebels like ISIS and so forth. And now we've got individuals who are doing it. Now, certainly, I think you can, you can argue that that causes terror, but uh, I, don't, I don't think we've come around to the point where we apply the term terrorist to everybody absent, you know, an organized yeah. terror group. Carl Tubin. Yeah, one thing that uh, uh, Mr. Trump did was he, he now is talking about how this is going to happen all over the country, and uh, which I think is wrong because um, even though people are out there thinking about doing these things, when he says it's going to happen all over the country, um, his wish might come true. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that in a second. It, it, let's not call it a wish. Right, yeah. We'll get to that in a second, Carl, but that, that's a good point. Um, talking, um, about, you know, talking about the definition of terror, Congressman Al brings up a huge point. And Admiral Ken, I want to go to you as, as a national defense person. You, the definition of what is terrorist act or terrorism in this country has gotten muddied over the years. What we used to define as state-sponsored ISIS, et cetera, has now become a series of lone wolf attacks that may occur through self-radicalization. Are, are we living almost in a naive world by not including the lone wolf as an act of terrorism, or have, are we now living in a different world where that is part of it? I think the average person on the, on the street would say if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I think we're getting a little bit too, too intellectual about this. I mean, I think the, 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 the inclusion of lone wolf uh, actions uh, in the, under the, the ban of terrorism is, a, is completely appropriate. Bob Hines? Well, we have to need to make a distinguish here. Terrorism is normally thought to be some organized groups, bodies for political reasons, you know, attacking the state. Now, every bomb that goes off is not that. I can understand how we, you know, every every bomb that goes off is we want to get us, you know, captured and get it it's, it's closed down as quickly as we can. But the difference between, let's say, organized terroristic efforts and in individual bombers because they're angry about something. It's two different things. Dan Lipner, better late than never. Thanks, Dan, for joining us, as always. <laughs> uh, so the, the, we didn't miss you. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel loved. Um, so the, uh, so the, 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 the issue of terrorism and how it's been used has been frustrating for a while. The, there are actual definitions out there. For starters, terrorism is a strategy, and it is a strategy to use against a population, against non-traditional combatants. When 
during the conflict in Iraq when bombs were going off and, and Iraqis trying to expel Americans in Iraq were referred to as terrorists, that would be incorrect. They may have used a strategy that was not appreciated. However, according to international law, it was not considered terrorism. You are actually allowed to, to, to attack combatants. I'm not saying it was right, but as far as a term of art, that's what it was. In this case, a lone wolf who was out there doing whatever he was doing, in spite of it not being state-sponsored, though state-adopted with ISIS, yes, it was, it, the, the effects and combining his acts with the idiot in, in, in Minnesota, their, their goals were to inflict fear on a, non, on a, on, on a series of non-combatants. And unfortunately, that, that part succeeded. And, and you brought up what happened in St. Cloud, Minnesota. The situation there was on Saturday, a, another, another Islamic-based radicalized terrorist went into a mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota, stabbing at least five people. None of them critically, but the suspect was shot by an off-duty police department uh, an off-duty police officer killed the suspect. It then turns out that a media organization associated with ISIS claimed responsibility, in fact, that he was a soldier of ISIS. But again, this goes back to, is that terrorism, Alan Moore? Yeah, I, I, think that, I think Ken got this exactly right, uh, the admiral. Um, if you're motivated by politics, and that seems to be the case here, by political views, by ideological views, and if you're willing to harm random people, that is terrorism. We haven't had state-sponsored terrorism uh, that we've talked about in a long time. 9-11 was not state-sponsored terrorism. Um, and and we, have, <laughs> we, we have left that state-sponsor business behind us in, uh, in, this, new, uh, in this new world uh, uh, and, and probably 9/11 wasn't the first one, but it's 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 driven by ideology, not anger, not right. not, not somebody going postal, if you will, right. at, at their at their old workplace. It's a, which is a which which another... arguably is a, a different kind of horror. Um, and then trying to harm people um, at random, not a target of military right. folks or whatever. Right. Uh, Admiral Ken, and we're all lucky uh, who got to meet a, a predator drone uh, by the, uh, the pointy end um, some number of years ago. Um, in his treatise on terrorism, says take take the uh, take the fight to uh, to the enemy. And, and then if you read the Inspire magazine, uh, it, it basically sets out a, a strategy, if you will, to where attack us in our homeland, where we're going to be most vulnerable. That is their strategy. But, but going back to the definition of terrorism and going back to the criticism of Mayor de Blasio, it, it, it strikes me, Dan Lipner, that you know, if you intentionally put together an explosive device meant to either kill or injure non-combatant civilians in New York City, you cause that to detonate. To me, I don't care what you cause it, that is a meant as an act of terror. You are trying to put fear into the residents of New York City and the East Coast. That is terrorism. Am I off base on that? Not off base. I'm kind of curious as far as what the point is. Yeah, why are we even... (laughs) No, no, no. But again, again, should Mayor de Blasio have come out and said So so my bigger concern is, is, is 
is, and this is in popular parlance, not when you're getting into the woods as far as what the actual legal definition means. And when you, while we're sitting here literally smoking cigars and talking about it, in common parlance, when people use the phrase terrorism, and this is where I will now invoke Trump, um, no. un- <laughs> unfortunately, it's a euphemism for or can be taken as a euphemism for people who look a certain way. And that is troubling. And so the Blasio taking his approach versus others, I, I am comfortable with somebody taking a tempered response to this until we actually know the facts of what has actually occurred. Yeah, Go ahead, Alan. You know, in, in defense of the mayor, and I haven't heard what he said, when the facts are not yet in, a bomb goes off and some people are harmed. Is it what do we know about it? We know a bomb went off and some people were hurt. We don't know anything about who it was set, where it was set, what the purpose was. It's conceivable that some individual is furious at a former friend, a former colleague, a former spouse, a girlfriend, but boyfriend. Again, I'm just point. saying that, that until you know a bomb went off, but you don't have to say, you don't have to assume it's terrorism until you know a little bit more. Well, I'm not going to be critical of I don't care whether it's an American. I don't care if it's a Timothy McVeigh or a uh, Rahami. You set off an explosive device in in Lower Manhattan intentionally. That is an act of terror. Okay. All I'm saying is there was no immediate knowledge that it was set off intentionally. It was clearly a bomb that somebody made. We don't know how it was set off. We don't know what the, who made it. We don't know what the purpose was. All I'm saying is it could have been somebody wanting to, to blow up uh, somebody who's having, who's, 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 who's having – No, no, no. Things do blow up. In Silver Spring, Maryland, a, a condo building blew up a few but weeks ago. But that wasn't ago. caused no, no, by – No, but not know a little bit more about the device. It's not like de Blasio is going to be able to conceal this. He's just being cautious at the outset, but, but until the now, facts are known. To that point, I, or Congressman Al, you'll forget it, so I want I, you to I, go. I, I'm sorry I started all of this. Yeah. I was <laughs> merely trying to point out that it was, not, it was ill-defined. We've now spent 20 minutes defining it around the table. I can accept any definition you want. Terrorism is terrible, and I'm, I'm, I'm not fussy about it. I just thought to attack de Blasio this early with an ill-defined term was a little unfair. A little unfair. Yeah. I, I don't even think now, that's now, a big deal. To that point, now, to that point, the media got a hold of it once Governor, uh, Governor Cuomo of New York came out and said, yeah, this is an act of terrorism. It immediately sparked a media rampage, and I can tell you from watching CNN, they glommed on to this, that they started talking about terror cells in the tri-state area, which that to me, causes more fear than necessary. Am I off base on that, Dan? No, that's journalistic terrorism. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's nonsense. I mean, as far as the ideas, I mean, the, the, the amazingness, and we've already talked about this, the amazingness that the security infrastructure not only identified this guy, but captured him within 24 hours alive. of this thing. Alive. Alive. After a gunfight. Is amazing. I mean, if you talk about the kinds of things that law enforcement can do in this country and things that I am comfortable with them having the ability to use correctly, and this was a case in which it was used correctly. The first World Trade Center bombing way back when 
Uh, part of the way they caught the guys, and this is still amazing to me, is they literally found the axle for the truck they rented, and when the guys went back to get to the security deposit, they arrested them on the spot. I mean, this is forensic skills that are so incredibly impressive. Look, it's former law enforcement. luck. Huh? No, 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 no. As somebody who's former law enforcement, I can tell you half of police work is dumb luck. Like the terrorists going back to their $250 security deposit. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, every person I've ever met who works in either intelligence or in law enforcement has always said you're never going to catch somebody smarter than yourself. And the the which is amazing how I affect an arrest. Though. Which <laughs> did, did, you, did you ever make an arrest? Yeah. Those, were, those were some dumb guys. <laughs> Thanks for that, Alan. So, but would you like to retire? No, I'm good. So, so the point being that to 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 shoot off to shoot from the lip on the stuff is is nonsense. Worse yet, to even to suggest that somebody spending time or even going a little step beyond is going too far. A responsible leadership is saying, look at what our security did. Right. And you can, by the way, you can sleep at night. Not that you shouldn't still be vigilant, but you can still sleep at night knowing that somebody's got your back long front and it's there for you. Call Susan real quick. Real quick. The, the thing it goes back to um, what uh, our friend said here, the, the fact, and you said that the fact that New York has the best uh, uh, people to do this kind of uh, work, and they did, and it it, it, it proved out. Thank God. I, I heard I heard a, a a quote this morning that when they when they caught the Belgian um, uh, bomber in Paris, a key person helping was a New York investigator in the Paris office of the New York Police Department. Who knew there was such a thing? Yeah. But they've got some people who know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. So the other the other thing that we have to talk about real quick is that right now uh, two things have happened since Rahi was captured. Uh, the suspect uh, was captured and arrested, he's being held on $5.3 million bail, which means that he's not getting out anytime soon. But the uh, Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice have classified this individual as a non-state combatant. Admiral Ken, what exactly are we talking about? Why classify him as a non-state combatant here after an arrest in New Jersey? We can put him through our process. But does he get a different process by being classified as a non-state combatant? Does he, is he it change his jurisdiction? If he's, a, if he's a state combatant, then he's a, he's a, he's a candidate to go to Gitmo. Uh, as a non-state combatant, he basically he's been a, he's been uh, charged with attempted murder. Uh, he has been charged with the bomb set. He's only been no, charged no, with the gunfight. Exactly right. right. Exactly. But as, as a non-state as a non-state actor. We can put him through the U.S. justice system. Don't have to do anything special. I send him to Gitmo and let him to a military tribunal. Dan, am I wrong? Dan, that sounds. I think. I think as a non-state combatant, that puts him in Gitmo no. because everybody that they're holding down in Gitmo is a non-state combatant. No, no, no. Yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure on that. So, as a let's go with the easier side of the okay first and work backwards. So, as a state combatant, this is where the Geneva Conventions are not hazy. Yes. Um, if you are a uniform state combatant, the rules are clear in what governing 
how you are handled is also stated. You're right. Clearly. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. A non-uniform yeah. combatant is, it, 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 is, is a different beast. I have zero belief yeah. that that the Obama administration is going to... He's not going to Gitmo. It's going to add anyone to Gitmo. But it does mean, as a state combatant, this is now a different justice system question. And I suspect, as a non-state combatant, the, the idea of rights, especially under this administration, has been t- kept taken seriously. So the question is, G- Geneva Convention rights or regular state law or federal law issues? Well, this, this and because a not a citizen, too. Right. He's yeah, right. Right. So, citizen. So, so in which case, it falls completely under the category of the laws on the books of the United States. But this is and where, gets, where that would this, end. But the reason why I bring it up is because this is now dicey, according to a couple of people I've talked to, who, who were saying that it was fine when they when they when they charged him with attempted murder of a law enforcement officer under New Jersey state law, that gave him the citizen rights due to him and due process due to him as a citizen of the United States. The second that the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice classified him as a non-state combatant, that almost leads their hand to believe that this guy's gonna go through tribunal versus federal court system. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's make this easier here. So, A, it's not as a citizen of the United States you get the, the, those rights. It's as being a resident of the United States, you are allowed to go through the criminal justice Due process. Yeah. You are in, that is, regardless of where you're born, if you're here, you have due or process of law. Right. Yeah. And so even illegal immigrants, they have due process. That due process might be deportation, but nonetheless, you are entitled to due process. But as a non-state combatant, he is eligible for the tribunal that everybody talks about versus going being heard in circuit court. No. I mean, this is part of the... Everything that happened with Gitmo and that stuff is such a legal mess. The Supreme Court has spoken on that, and and it's still a mess. And I, anyone in their right mind would to suggest to to reopen that wound is a mad person because it is is a it is not just a nuisance but it's a stain on how this country functions because we don't know how to deal with it. So the, the simply putting through both state and federal law, this guy's never seen the light of day ever again, assuming everything is accurate that's been reported. I mean, that is a big presumption. It's still innocent until proven guilty. But assuming everything that we've heard is accurate, this guy is never getting out. And this guy's going to die in a superman. And the big difference is, and the big difference is you know, to a person, everybody that's down in Gitmo um, is, was, were people that, that – that, for the most part, came off the battlefield, and we didn't have. It, there's no country that's going to own them uh, for doing the, the deeds they did. This guy was, as Dan pointed out, a resident of the United States, living in the United States, committed his crimes. He's a naturalized citizen. He's a citizen. He's a citizen. He's a U.S. passport holder. Committed his crimes on U.S. on, on uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. soil. Dan's right. He's going to, going to go through the same system that, that anybody else would, and you're never, you're never going to see daylight again. He's never going to see daylight again. What, what I want to know, what I want to know is if some if some terrorist organization with a, with a with a with a big wallet said, "We'll bail them out." Why is there even a bail? Good question. That is a good question. I think what but it I'm is. I'm guessing it would go away if somebody I, showed well, up. Well, now remember, remember, maybe, he's maybe only been charged. Now remember, he's only been charged with attempted murder of a law enforcement officer in state court, New Jersey. He has not been charged federally yet. 
So, yeah, theoretically, somebody could pop up $5.9 million. $5.9 million. With a bail bondsman. Yeah, yeah, go to a <laughs> Do you think there is a bail bondsman in Newark, New Jersey, that's going to take that bail? Yeah, 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 They already don't get the best PR no. as it goes. Like, it's just a matter of fact. for my clients. Is, is, somebody, is somebody who knows... Some of you knows those type of people in New Jersey. They're not touching this. Yes, no. nice to the community. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk the politics of terrorism. This has now become issue number one on the campaign trail with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. We'll talk about that in a second. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's Back Room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. By the way, if you want to join the conversation, the switchboard is open. You can dial in 657-383-0419. Again, 657-383-0419 if you want to join the discussion. Uh, We're going to pivot a little bit and talk about the politics of terrorism. Obviously, with the events that happened, in New York and New Jersey over the weekend. This has now become topic number one on the campaign trail. The war of words has already started between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It has been a war of questionable words, but words nonetheless. Um, Alan Moore, Donald Trump came out on the campaign trail, number one, within an hour of the first explosion happening, 
Donald Trump was on Twitter saying, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. That's why you got to elect me. Uh, Donald Trump has also come out and said things as early as yesterday saying that this guy is going to be in a hospital. He's going to get room service and the best attorney in the world. And he's now just completely kowtowing to his base. Does this benefit Donald Trump, this approach benefit Donald Trump as far as switching votes or getting people to look at him as the guy who can defend us against terrorism? Yeah, first of all, I don't think in this case, he was very fast out of the box calling it, as I, as I mentioned earlier, calling it um, uh, a, a terrorist act. Uh, we don't know what his information was, gut instinct, somebody whispers to him, a bomb went off and he, and he ran with it. I didn't see that he said in this case, as he has said before, I told you so. He has certainly said that in the past. That's part of his MO. I'm not sure that's what he said this time. So I just, I just mentioned that, you know, for him, um, sadly, um, because he has played on people's fears he is in a position whenever there is a terrorist act to say, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we have to guard against. This is what we have to be more aggressive about. And, and there, there's plenty of people out there, and it's not just people who are inclined to support him, but other people are fearful. It's like, how much are we at risk? After 9-11, we all thought that that was the start of a constant, the start of regular attacks that would put people at jeopardy. And it's been pretty remarkable. In another case, I think of good luck and good police and investigative work. I think a lot of uh, potential acts were intercepted and stopped. And and we'll never know how many. Right. Um, but but now here again here is another act at a very inopportune time for the country because politicians Trump certainly but others too will struggle and wrestle with this i can't say that from a political standpoint trump is is harming himself. I just I don't know that. It, it bothers me. It, it, yeah. it bothers me uh, a lot. But but I think that that uh, that it may you know as these fears come back and we wonder is my community safe? Is my family safe? Are there people that I'm looking at in a different way when I walk down the street? Um, uh, that it's a horrible thing for the country, but politically, I'm not sure that it that it that it's that it harms Trump. Go ahead, Admiral Ken. The real question is, and this may get answered, in, in, uh, and I'm sure it will get asked, and hopefully, will get asked next week, uh, next Monday on the debate. Is what does Trump think we need to do differently than what we're doing now to prevent further acts of terror uh, occurring on U.S. soil, threatening our families and our livelihood? So to, as, as of right now, the only thing I've really heard him say is we're going to kick the hell out of him. I mean, that's, that's priceless. That's wonderful. But I'm looking for something a little bit deeper. 
I don't think the generals have thought about that. Uh, oh, like, you, you think so? That's why he needs to fire them. Right, 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 exactly. But, but, exactly. But, the real, but the real question is, so it, it, is, is it going to help hurt him politically? I think, quite frankly, the people who are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. The people who are not going to vote for Trump aren't going to vote for Trump. And, you know, and, but there's a big, broad band of independent voters that are still undecided. And I think those in that band of undecided voters, I think, are probably more thoughtful, I would, I would hope, than, than, than maybe we're, we maybe give them credit for in this but, form. Because but, they're, the reason they're undecided is because they're, they're still taking in information. They're still uh, bouncing one candidate's answer against another candidate's but, answer. But, Congressman, when we talk about this, though, you know, the, if we go under the world that Donald Trump portrays, you know, since 9-11, we have been under constant attacks, not unlike what happens in Israel, not what happened, not unlike what happened in England during, during the troubles with Northern Ireland. You know, constant bombings, constant uh, no terrorist no. activity. No, 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 not even close. Not even close. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Under Donald Trump's world, you would think that oh, that okay. is, no, 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 we're not even there yet. The reality is that's Donald Trump's world. In reality, though, we don't even experience a type of well, terrorist we activity. We just got done saying that the New York police, and I think if we include the FBI and some other uh, police agencies, have been doing a very good job. Now, the fact that there's some crazy person that may get himself a tea kettle and put a bomb in it and stick it on a street corner... That's very hard to say. I'll catch him before it happens. It's almost but in general, in general, in general uh, we have been doing very, very well. Carl, Carl yeah, Tubin. I think Monday night is going to be a, a a critical night because she will come out. She has formed ideas about the future for this country, and and. Uh, <clears throat> She's going to be asked a question. She'll turn to the camera, and hopefully I would hope that she would say, when I am president, this is what I intend to do. And and uh, it's going to be a contrast, because then they're going to go to Trump and say, what's your uh, situation in this? And I think that's that's where... That's when the huffing and puffing. Yeah, yeah. That's All right, Admiral Ken, then Alan Moore. So one of the comments that Trump made was that we need we need to we need to, to do more profiling that that the police know who these people are but they're afraid of going after them because they're afraid of of of, of because they're too politically correct. But he cites the Israelis that do it. He cites British intelligence that does it. And Arguably, I, and I think, right or wrong, and I think and I think he I think he is oversimplifying uh, the process that the Israelis and uh, and and the British are doing. They're doing the same thing we're doing. They're, they're using good police work, um, um, uh, bolstered by good intelligence work. The communities that are that are uh, aligned that need to be aligned to protect us are doing the job and are doing the job very very well. And, and that's also a pretty horrible thing to say about the NYPD or the the, the suggestion that they would put life and limb behind the, their belief that somehow they would be were being politically correct. That is so ridiculous on its face that it almost doesn't deserve it. Alan Moore, but that's actually not what he said. What he said was, first of all, he commended the New York police. Then later, in a different place, he was he was he he made that comment. 
about not New York police. He was really he was referring at the time to the situation in New Jersey. So okay, well, I'm not I'm not defending that that kind of comment. All I but I but I'll say this: it does play into this narrative that's out there that we are so worried about harming people's feelings that we're putting ourselves at risk. I don't buy that, but that is, is, is his argument. Let me just say though, that the, that the one thing he does talk about, which again, I think is, is mostly nonsense, but he does talk about it is ex, what he refers extreme to as extreme vetting. vetting. Now the, 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 the New York bomber is is an Af- is born in Afghanistan, naturalized citizen. The Saint the Saint Cloud, Minnesota guy was Somali born. So these are people here legally, and the question and we are going to learn a lot more about where they came from, what questions have occurred, what suspicions, etc., and whether they were vetted in a way. We do more vetting than <laughs> than probably anybody except the Israelis. Um, uh, and and uh, in terms of allowing people in, which is why our numbers are uh, continue to be uh, relatively low, and why it takes so long for a person who applies to come here more than a year. Right now, we do extreme vetting now. We could should we do more? This is all something that folks are wrestling with. But that's the one thing that Trump does talk well, about. Right. But, okay, but, 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 but oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go ahead, Bob Hines. Look at what's been happening lately. We've had several attacks. It is amazing to me, and I'm very pleased about it, and we all should be, that the law enforcement agencies have been on, on top constantly. They've been very, very quick on the, on the target. They've been very quick to find people they need to find. I think we ought to be real, really feel that while it's always going to be dangerous, we have got some awfully good, very dedicated, hard-working guys and gals who are doing a magnificent job, and, and, and really doing a job that is amazing to me. They, they're able to get such control so quickly. Congressman Al. And we've been able to do it without <clears throat> shooting unarmed men in the back and other things that some of the police action that it, over the years yeah. have done. This has been done with appropriate police action. Yeah, Dan Littner. So, but back to the Donald item for the Minnesota, and I suspect the Donald, who has not exactly been a, a, a good student of keeping up with public policy issues, the Somali male youth in Minnesota has actually been a known commodity to the press. So I can just imagine what the intelligence agencies actually know if this is stuff that we know that it's actually been shared. So, but the idea that this stuff isn't already happening, I'm sure the Donald, this is brand new to him, but this has been a known issue for at least four or five years for recent Somali immigrants that have happened to be settled in, in, the, in Minnesota and that there's a radicalization that has occurred amongst the Somali male youth there. That is a known commodity, but again, the actual facts and knowledge thing is not always what is terribly important for this campaign fight. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But, hold most, on but most Al. Americans are probably closer to the Trump level of knowledge 
No, no, and, and, and I would agree with that. However, I would hope most Americans would not look to somebody who knows nothing that was knowable as opposed to people who are actually paying attention to leave this country. That is the frustration. I mean, but it, 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 it strikes me, Alan Moore, that, that Donald Trump is playing into the fear that this could, in fact, become London in the 80s during the IRA troubles and Israel of Hezbollah days, that this could be, we could see bombing attacks without extreme vetting. To me, that just plays into fear, arguably, but is that the right approach to take to prove that you are the candidate that will best defend against these acts? Well, it's all part of this law and order theme. I'm tougher than everybody else. We are at risk out there. People are trying to do us harm. And, and, and we need a stronger response than we have. Yes, it plays into fear. Um, and and the, you know, do, I, do I agree with it? No. Do I like it? No. Is it effective? Maybe. But Congressman Al, what, what really troubles me is that when, when I see organizations like the Fraternal Order of Police endorse somebody like a Donald Trump. That basically almost justifies this crazy approach that Donald Trump takes as the law enforcement union saying, we back Donald Trump, he's our law and order guy. Is that something that could be a sway either way, or is that off the radar for most voters? I, I think it's, it's better than, than look at the police union. It's better to look at the police work that was just done in New York that we just already talked about. But the about. union that represents those I, I officers know. just backed Donald Trump. And, and, and I, I've been a union supporter and have talked with a lot of union guys, blue-collar guys. They are not, <laughs> generally speaking, subtle thinkers. You know, they, they want they they action. Teamsters they, tend not to be soft-spoken. Who, who, Teamsters tend not to be soft-spoken. That's, that's true. Uh, and, and the leadership of those unions have, you know, a political thing, too. They've got to sound tough for their members. So I think track what has been going on and the examples we've talked about today in New York as to what makes sense in terms of police action and and, and assume that, that the police unions are, are just doing what you can predict that any union will do. Alan Moore. Yeah, if, if, if I'm Hillary Clinton and I'm Hillary's people, it's got to make me crazy that the police unions are endorsing Donald Trump. Only one right now. The FOP, the PBA still has not endorsed anybody in this, but FOP holds big stroke with people on the job. The, the, the question, but not with Al anymore. No, no. no. Well, it, it hurt. It troubles me. It hurts me. Now, here's the question, though. When we look at what happened today, now a tweet came out from the campaign uh, by Donald Trump Jr. Basically, a picture of a bowl of Skittles that uh, Donald Trump Jr. came out and said, if this was, if this bowl of Skittles, if three of these Skittles would kill you, would you eat this bowl of Skittles? Now, number one, Wrigley Corporation, which owns and manufactures Skittles, came out and said, Skittles are candy, refugees are human beings. But it does, you know, it does play out 
uh, Dan Littner that, in fact, this is the mentality of Donald Trump that even if three get through, we're putting ourselves and putting American lives in danger. Is there logic in that? I admit the question. Yeah. Jesus. Alan Moore, will you take this? So, so Donald Trump Jr. retweeted this thing. He said it came no, across his, no. it came across uh, uh, him to, uh, to it his, had a Trump it, pen it, label it, on it. No, they, that, that's because when he, when they, when they re, re, retweet, uh, they see it. But it, the, the fact of the matter is, he, it was, it was, it was uh, Donald Trump Jr. who retweeted, retweeted. And, and I think the line was, if you knew three of these Skittles were going to kill you, would you, t- would you eat a handful? And, and uh, it works for the Trump narrative. It offends other people who say, and then a bunch of other people showed pictures, posted pictures in response of innocent children, uh, harmed, beat up. Like the kid in, in Aleppo in the ambulance. Several, um, and, and said, these are the you know these are the skittles we're talking about or something like that you know sort of or this is what we are talking about in, in with 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 refugees the fact of the matter is there are young males who who have come and are trying to come they are not the preponderance of people they're the ones that scare the people the most so it, it was it a bad move? I don't know that it was a bad move from the Trump standpoint um, to to have his son uh, post that thing. Um, I'm I'm pro pro refugee myself, right? So right. So I I'm I'm offended, but I'm also trying to understand uh, how it's perceived by the larger what, body. Congressman Al, you know, if I'm you not talk, pro Skittles. No, no, no. I know, I know you're not. You hate the green ones. So the, the reality is, you went anti-green a lot. I know. Yeah. He's an anti-green Skittle. That whole anti-green Skittle campaign. He hates Jill Stein because she's Green Party. It reminds him of green Skittles. Hey, but Congressman Al, when, when you look at the total picture of how we can thwart these type of actions, it strikes me, and you talk to anybody in the intelligence community or in the law enforcement investigative community, they'll tell you a lot of the sources of intelligence and information we get to thwart these attacks, in fact, comes from the Muslim community itself. At a time when we need to bridge the relationship between Muslim communities and the general population of the American uh, electorate, Donald Trump seems to put a, I hate to say it, a wall between the Muslim community who he views as evil and the American electorate as he sees as vulnerable under the current administration. How do we bridge that? Or can we? Vote against Donald Trump. Well, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, what else do you do? You've got, you've got a, a man that goes around saying, irrational, unsupportable, often inaccurate things, and we have a First Amendment in this country, how do you stop him from doing it? You, you can't. But, he, but here's the problem, Congressman, is that when Donald Trump, when an, when an incident like this happens and Donald Trump gets on the soapbox, hate crimes against Muslims jump 30%. Yep. And that all that does is just alienate the 
the Muslim community, instead of having them be proactive in working with us, it's not unlike the problem that they had in Belgium or France where they are so segregated as being evil or a separate part of the community. We don't assimilate them. Of course they're going to be angry. I don't sense that it's gone that far in this country as it has in Belgium. Could it, though? By the numbers, we are much, much better. Right. Could it? Anything is possible. But, in fact... My reading of the news over the last several weeks is that the Muslims in this country, the regular citizens, uh, are deeply offended by what is going on and are cooperating with police authorities in in order to do what they can to stop it. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Hold on. Carl, you go first. First of all, Hillary has been creating this uh, drum saying that, you know, you can't criticize Muslims, you can't build walls, and uh, things like that in, in her campaign. You know, how far and wide it's been her, who knows? But uh, it's, it's, she's trying to, uh, when she says stronger together, she's trying to, to frame that to, to bring this country right. together. Alan Moore? Yeah, I, I think that, that, that Secretary Clinton is making a mistake in the way she's handling this. Where she's putting her emphasis, at least in the last few days, is that the that ISIS is using Donald Trump's words as a recruiting technique. I don't think that is nearly as powerful as the thing we were just talking about. That is, American Muslims are well integrated into our communities. It's not like uh, Belgium cities, or France and Europe, where they have a lot more Muslims. And they're not working. There's a lot of young men, and they tend to live together in very crowded conditions. In foreign countries. In the the European countries. Our situation is dramatically different. The the Muslims in most American communities, I'm sure there there are exceptions, but right here in this greater Washington, D.C. area, where I've got some personal experience, Thanks to my lovely wife and and the work that 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 uh, in her former church uh, she was able to do with 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 a with a with a large mosque in Northern Virginia just uh, up the street uh, from from, uh, from, from her, her former yeah. church. Um, they are fabulous partners in the community and in in meeting and gaining understanding. And the only way we can succeed against these lone wolf actors or small group actors is by getting the cooperation of uh, other Muslims who might have some insight into who the bad actors are. If they hate us and don't trust us, they will stop talking to us. And that's where I think that that Secretary Clinton is is, is much stronger rather than saying somehow his comments about extreme vetting are going to be a, a recruiting tool for ISIS. So going, so going uh, off of that, though, off of Alan Moore's point, Dan Lipner, it strikes me that this is a huge missed opportunity for Hillary Clinton and her campaign to actually garner and gain and secure the Muslim communities that if you vote for me, you are going to be accepted and integrated in as part of the community versus saying... Well, Donald Trump's just a recruiting tool for ISIS. Why would somebody as adept as Hillary Clinton not see that? Okay, well, for starters, by the numbers, and there's already been plenty of reporting on this, 
that I honestly didn't know. Apparently, Muslim communities in the United States actually used to lean Republican. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, that's true. That is, Trump has now so bent that curve in the in the other direction, it's not even worth considering the thought anymore. Yeah, but so, why no, no, would Hillary Clinton that, jump that, on that, that's this bandwagon and secure it? Let me answer the question. That is not where Hil- Hillary is secured. When the other when the other side is so offensive, and you're still going to vote, you only, and I'm pretty certain Gary Johnson and Jill Stein are not where they're going to head. So the question is what. Where, so the question is how Hillary should have handled it. I think this is where Alan is right, but on a slightly different point. The idea of what Donald Trump is talking to, he's talking to uh, the worst of us is not quite right, though. He is talking to them, too. But he's also talking to the worst of our fears. And too often, unfortunately, as a nation, we do not respond in the best ways when we are scared. Instead of saying that Donald Trump is a recruiting tool to ISIS, great. If I'm scared and this guy thinks he's a recruiting tool to ISIS, Americans also don't quite enjoy the cowering and fear response. The better response is a with, with strength and dignity, which is, yes, we are a country that will handle this. Our law enforcement will make sure and capture them. Our justice system will punish them but we will continue to be the shining city on the hill, handling things in a proper way. We are not the worst of what is in the world. We are the best. And actually be a statesman in response to that. And But she's sticking so close to the campaign rhetoric where I suspect she's in her heart, heart trees. she could actually rattle off that statement and, worse yet, come across as credible because she actually believes it. Admiral Ken, last word. I just want to point it out that Dan just co-opted George H.W. Bush's term, Shining City on the Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Ronald Reagan. Well, yeah. Reagan, yeah. Yeah. Still, yeah. even more the point. All right. Well, we'll give him that. Whereas Trump is a percolating sewer on the stump. Oh, there we go. There we go. Had to get that in. Had to get that in. So much for political stability. Uh, hey, on that point, on that point, Congressman, out real quick. I'm just saying, George Bush has just said that he's. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, 41, said he's going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. Although I'm not sure he really wanted that out they there. Have confirmed that. Right. And that was told to. And that was denied either. And by the way, that was told to a Kennedy. Again, not something you really want out there if you're a Republican. Yeah. But that being said, we're going to take a break. When we come back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but it has to do with what happened today. This morning, the president ad- addressed the General Assembly of the United Nations, which is gathering in New York City, which, again, part of the heightened security in New York. We're going to talk about the UN. The question is, is the UN still necessary? And we'll talk about that. This is the this is Backroom Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street. In the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., we'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados, and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, 
cozy couches and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Back Room is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be. show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, switchboards are open. The number is 657-383-0419. Again, you can dial in live 657-383-0419. Um, today, 
the mark the opening of the United Nations General Assembly gathering at the United Nations building in New York City. Uh, the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon opened up and opened up talking about years of pent-up anger under his term as Secretary General. He is really mad at a lot of world leaders. Uh, came out in saying that powerful patrons on both sides of the Syrian conflict have blood on their hands. He was absolutely scathing as to the way that they that the world community has handled uh, the Syrian the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, the refugee crisis from the ISIS situation in Iraq on the Turkish border. Um, President Obama gave his last. Uh, General Assembly address this morning uh, where he uh, talked about how the world and the global community should come together to defeat the threat of Islamic extremism and to talk about how we can help deal with humanitarian crisis like what's happening in uh, in uh, Syria and what's happening on the Turkish border. But the bigger question that comes to me is is the United Nations still relevant, and is it still necessary? Uh, Congressman, now let me start with you. Is, is, is the UN still effective? Well, the UN has been moderately effective in its whole history and ineffective in some regards. The problem is, what are you going to replace it with? I think that if the United Nations wasn't there, uh, if, if you couldn't use it in a variety of ways to our advantage, as we had in the past. Uh, I remember Colin Powell. I remember Adlai Stevenson, you know, facing down Russians and what have you at the United Nations. Uh, so I think, yes, uh, we still need it. Bob Hines? I think it's one of the most valuable things to come out, one of the most important things to come out of uh, World War II. Because the organization is worldwide respected. It's done some good work in many countries. It's helped not to have some problems explode by good political thinking. I think it's a very important organization. I think we would be in a much more dangerous world were it not in existence. Uh, but, but Alan Moore... The question still comes up is when we deal with the situations like Syria, when we deal with situations like ISIS and the human and the human crisis that is being affected by those situations, like for example the situation in Aleppo, many have called the UN basically neutered as its ability to be a global organization to defeat evil and conflict. Are they putting too much are they putting too much on the shoulders of the body or is this something that they're missing the point? Yeah, they missed the point. As Al said, you could get rid of them and then you have to replace them with something. It provides a forum for the countries of the world, large and small, powerful, not powerful, rich and poor and so on, to 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 talk to each other, to meet, to interact, to advocate, to push, um, and uh, the, you've, you've got this very powerful um, small cluster of major countries um, that, that has to, uh, to 
agree to any big stuff. And then you got 140, whatever that number is, uh, countries uh, who feel like uh, they get a voice uh, every now and then in a vote. Um, we, we always overestimate what people's power is. We do it with our presidents. We do it with the Congress. We do it in the States. We do it with the United Nations. And there's no magical structure that would, that would solve the Syria problem. But what there may be, there may be, because the Russians are so instrumental now, so pivotal in anything that happens in Syria, there's a possibility that the Security Council might propose something that if it could agree and isolate Russia and force it to exercise its <coughs> veto, uh, which it would not want to do. Um, it, there are some ways sometimes that leverage inside the UN can, can make a difference, either to isolate and force somebody, as, as the U.S. is often forced to do, to exercise a veto, particularly relating to Israel in, in, uh, in our history. Um, it, we might be able to, to, to pressure Russia to do some things that, that we've tried to get them to agree to, like this recent ceasefire that blew up uh, over in, the past 48 hours, faces, uh, literally over the, the last few days, and, and, and 65 or so UN employees and, and local peacekeepers were, were killed um, by airstrikes that had to come either from uh, the Syrian Air Force or the Russians or some combination therein. I mean, this is we can't expect the UN to somehow have the power to order something up. They have very little uh, of, uh, uh, military capability. Congressman Al. The UN is essentially a small d democratic body with many, many countries and so forth and so on. And democracy itself looks pretty silly from time to time. If you're going to get rid of the UN because it's not terribly effective, then we better start getting rid of the Congress uh, <laughs> and some other bodies. It's, I go back to Churchill. It's better to jaw jaw than shoot shoot. <laughs> but but but, but, here, but here's the, here's the thing though is you know if you look at uh, Secretary General Ban Ki Moon's statements today. One of the most telling ones that I heard today was that he said, quote, present in this hall today are representatives of governments that have ignored, facilitated, funded, participated in, or even planned and carried out atrocities inflicted by all sides in, of the Syrian conflict against Syrian civilians. And so far as I know, he's the first Secretary General of the United Nations that has ever been that direct and, and that you know, in chewing out his members, and that's a good thing. But because it, he's but, leaving. Well, yeah, right. one, because no, he's it, leaving. But, but wait a minute, this brings up a good point. Still, hold, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Everybody hold on. Everybody hold on. Alan Moore, let me go to you first, and I'll go to you, Dan. Alan Moore, it seems to me that something that striking being put out by the outgoing U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, it falls on deaf ears. It seems that we keep coming to this, as I'm sure Dan was going to put out, Boutros, Boutros Ghali, in his last address to the General Assembly in the opening, was very direct and very forward. It still seems to fall on deaf ears. How do we get those deaf ears to listen? Well, they're listening. 
but they don't, it, you know, it, we're, we're expecting too much in the way of action. Um, that isn't to say that I think that the, that the countries of the world have done all that they should have, not by any stretch at all. But it's not like one, it, let, let, let people be a little bit embarrassed, but, but what are they, uh, what are they going to do? What are they supposed to do? Russia and, and the U.S. are the two major players with regard to Syria and they can't come to an agreement. And until they can come to an agreement, the rest of the world is going to say, yeah, keep working on it. You guys keep working on it. Europe has by and large been withdrawing from the international uh, community and from the middle East for years. And that's not going to turn around in a heartbeat. Okay, Dan Lipner. Well, so I'm thinking back for all these very different criticisms of the of the UN, just from just from American political pipes. Uh, the the two loudest voices of the past, uh, Jesse Helms and more recently John Bolton, and saying every if, if I were to accept everything that either of them had ever said in criticism of the United Nations as true, I don't agree with their criticism, but if I took Every criticism of the United Nations they said as true, I could still say wholeheartedly we still need it and should still have it. It is absolutely still still relevant because what's the alternative? If there is no national, not national, me, global forum to actually air these issues and grievances, what else do you do? Carl, we've Carl, come full circle. We Al, have, Al said that yep. about. 15 minutes, minutes ago, ago, right. Carl Tubin. Dan's now caught up to Al. Okay. Dan, Carl, slow. Carl Tubin. <laughs> First of all, <clears throat> you know, Mrs. Roosevelt said at the beginning that once we have people that sit around the table and are able to discuss things, it's a lot better than, than not. Now, I, I work with an organization that has looked into the United Nations and part of the problem is that when the Cubans came into the United Nations, um, they they formed a, a clique, and and they have uh, they, they kind of took over UNESCO, and and because of that, they had tremendous influence among other countries to vote in certain ways, and. Uh, <clears throat> uh, People have called this to the attention of the United Nations, but it it it, it hasn't it hasn't been um, uh, it hasn't been fixed, and who knows when it'll be fixed if ever. Bob Hines, uh, the UN is a uh, is an interesting body. It it doesn't seem to be doing anything flashy. It doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot of things, but just look at how peaceful the world is in general compared to, let's say, 100 years ago or 55 years ago or 60 years ago, where, you know, there is a body that you can take your complaint to. And for the most part, you can get a reasonable solution eventually. You're never going to get a situation where everything works beautifully. Right, but when we look at what the U.N. was created to do, and arguably I would agree that in large part, there is a peaceful global community, but when we look at the hotbeds that we have to deal with, the Middle East, ISIS, Syria, when we look at what happened in the Sudan, for example, 
when we look at those those situations, it seems to be either not effective at all or marginally able to promote no, any no, good out of no, it. Let, yeah, let me respond to that. All right, hold on. Bob Hines, Bob Hines. Look back 175 years ago. Europe was every country in Europe was fighting each other. Same was in Asia. China was doing this. The UN has been one of the most useful organizations that we've ever been able as an international body to get together. It's done a marvelous good job about keeping disagreements on the table, not in the guns. Admiral Ken, I couldn't agree with Bob more. So you go back to Woodrow Wilson and his attempt to create the League of Nations. It failed. What did we get? World War II. That's right. I mean, you know, as, as a former warfighter, I got to tell you, talk talk is a lot better than shoot shoot. You better every, believe every it. day. Right. But, but, he, but he, Dan Lettner first. So, but the, I, I got nothing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've been having on for the past two minutes. Me, 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 me. I, I'm, I'm, ca- I'm catching up to Al. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what? Just, just like, yeah, just, just like Al Long. Just like Congressman Al Long. Uh, but, but, but here's the thing. is, Alan Moore, when we talk about the U.N. here in the United States, especially when you get into the Midwest, when I was out in Oklahoma, I heard some absolutely ludicrous things as the well, U.N. is... helicopter well, that Well, that's what we talk about, the black helicopters. We talk about the UN part of the new world order and they're trying to create global socialism or global jihadists or however you want to call it. The people in the, in the United States either largely don't understand or are fearful of the United Nations. They're also fearful of the metric system. I'm not going to hang my hat on But Al Moore, how do we get the, the U.S. electorate on board with what the UN is and what it could do globally. Well, you know, it, 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 two things. One, you have to be patient and try to explain and explain and explain and hope somebody's listening. And then you have to accept the fact that usually they won't be listening and they will reject what you have to say and you throw up your hands and say, okay, we're, we're not going to succeed in, in, in educating as many of the people as we would like to, to educate. But when, when, a majority of Americans believe that the U.S. government spends more on foreign aid than it spends on <laughs> Medicare. There are limits to, which is crazy absurd for anybody who doesn't know that, um, there are limits to how much people will be willing to listen, pay attention, internalize, reflect. It's a lot easier just to have a few voices you like to listen to. They feed your gut instinct, your anger, your sense that that there's these elites out there who are leading you on and trying to screw you. So all you can do is your best. Repeat, when you have somebody like Donald Trump in the race who feeds uh, a a lot of this ignorance, um, it doubles the challenge. But he will go away one way or the other. He will go away as a president who's got a lot to learn or more likely (laughs) as a real estate guy who now is going to create a media empire. Right. Carl Tubin? I think, I think one of the things is we've had some tremendous people from the United States as head of the delegation to the United Nations. And I think that, that over the years, the quality has, 
has lowered. And if we don't have a Stevenson, we don't have some of the other people that have served the United Nations. And if we had someone who who was uh, bright and shiny and 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 I think I think that would kind of help start the trend for the United the people of this country thinking United you know, the United States really does something in the UN. such as 
UNESCO, the High Commission on Refugees, uh, uh, UNICEF. You can't, you can't uh, bundle them together. Yeah. We, are, we are far and away the biggest uh, contributor to virtually everything except the except <laughs> UNESCO. UNESCO and uh, the, uh, the, the, U, the UNFPA, which does family planning and which brings up domestic challenges in, in America. But everything else... We do, and we think it's we. Most of us think it's it's kind of a bargain. Not least of all, peacekeeping forces, which which we don't we put don't, a lot of people in. We don't have to send people. We can buy uh, for far far less than American troops cost from other countries trained military who will be better received and and are and, and cost far less. So. Yes, there have been issues. This was a big Jesse Helms fight back when he was chairman of foreign relations, and he uh, he continued to resist uh, 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 contributing what the U.S. owed by prior agreement. Wouldn't he refuse to allow? I mean, he was we was a major roadblock, but he had plenty of followers to disallow the the money that we had promised and weren't paying. And then the former U.N. ambassador, he was no Adlai Stevenson. Um, <laughs> was uh, Richard Holbrook, who performed this amazing seduction of Jesse Helms, of coming to see him, bringing him to New York, having him meet people, and bringing Helms along to grudgingly but willingly say, okay, I will support freeing up several hundred million dollars. We, I don't know where we are right now, but we're not in arrears like we used to be. It's we're always, still in arrears, but always, not nearly the it's big deficit. Always, it's always an issue. It's always a question. And we, and we do things. We, 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 we typically say, UNHCR, that's separate. We will pay. We will fund that. There are partners in, in the refugee-related work all over the world. The, the thing is, we take care of refugees when we can. And we, the, the, the UN will ante up and the West will ante up uh, with, with Syrian refugees in, in Turkey, in Jordan, uh, in, in Lebanon. Europe is struggling and wants to send people back uh, to Turkey. So when we, will, we will take care of people. We will argue about whether to let people in permanently. What the UN will not do is fight a war in Syria. And and that's what it doesn't do. It doesn't make peace. It keeps peace, and not always very well. Right. But Admiral Ken, though, when we look at, like, for example, the peacekeeping forces, the inter- the international sanctions that we put in, there are many in the global community that say these sanctions aren't necessarily effective, arguably. There are some that say that the U.S. doesn't believe in U.N. peacekeeping forces, as we do not support manpower to U.N. peacekeeping forces in mass. What is the argument that says, well, wait a minute, if we don't put people in the peacekeeping forces, if the sanctions aren't effective, how is it that the U.N. continues to say we are the global body to deconflict the world? Well, I, I think the, 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 the argument has already been stated. I mean, you, 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 you gain a lot more by sitting and talking to people than you do by shooting at them. Um, I think that in the case of Iran, the sanctions have worked pretty well. Matter of fact, North Korea, North Korea, they, they, well, I wouldn't say they've worked well. North they Korea. haven't worked at all. They, they're, yeah. they're building missiles to but, launch but, nuclear. But, but, but the premise, the premise 
uh, in Rand is that they're going to feed their people. In North Korea, that kind of falls short. It's not going to work. Uh, the UN, I think, is probably based on the fact that you're going to deal with a rational, a rational leadership of, uh, of, of the different nations that are involved. That's not always the case, and North Korea is a prime example of that. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you throw the baby out of the bathroom. Nobody is perfectly the enemy of the good. Yeah. Well, well, okay, but but wait a minute, Alan Moore. In the in the issue of North Korea, for example, does the fact that the U.S. and Russia and China having veto powers does that take away from the effectiveness of the U.N. Should they have the veto power that they do? Well, if they don't have the veto power, then they're not going to participate. So it 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 it. It's a catch-22? Well, I don't know about a catch-22. The last thing you want to do is turn major decisions over to the General Assembly, 140 nations, where you've got, you know, a handful of, of countries who will... Who will we can't trust Botswana to make a good decision? No, we can't. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And, and uh, you know, you've got to have some real skin in the game here, both in terms of uh, economic... Uh, Skin contributions and 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 and, and political. Um, there, there. This is not. Uh, this is not a one person one vote uh, enterprise. And there's no way that it, it, it that it could be, given the financial and political structure that that operates in this world and is reflected in many ways at the UN. Dan Lipner. So no. So what Alan's saying is 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 right, and there are plenty of legitimate criticisms of the United Nations. One of which is authoritarian states where the dictator is the only vote that matters. His or her vote, and I'm comfortable saying his because I don't think there are any female dictators on the planet at the moment. Um, that vote counts as much as every democratic individual state. That seems problematic to me. And that it's not an unreasonable critique. And it, back, back when Jesse Helms was complaining, I remember thinking to myself, you know, a League of Democratic States within the United Nations would not seem to be an unreasonable, Democratic caucus? A, a, an unreasonable point to make, as opposed to Helms's point, which was the UN is non-functional. And while he did eventually waver on his point, it was a, a, an excuse to beat up on the institution as opposed to a, an excuse to try and find a fix issues with the institution. Congressman Al, is there more that the government here in Washington can do to just either educate, or is there more that we can do to show more support to the UN to get the, to educate the general electorate on the effectiveness of this body? The U.S.? Can, can the U.S. government do something to educate the American electorate about the UN? I think it's, I think it's done a good job over the years, you know, people sometimes just don't listen. Uh, the, the UN, I can, I can recall uh, in one of my counties they had a very active local UN thing and they would hold meetings, town meetings to educate people at the local level. Uh, how effective they were, I have no idea. I suspect not terribly, but uh, but I think we've done what you can do. You, you, you can you can you can teach the lesson. You can't make people accept it. Admiral, can you disagree? I disagree word? completely. Bubba doesn't give a rat's patootie about the UN right now. Well, well they're scared that they're going to find a- black helicopters. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And as and as, as I guess my, you know, the, my my oldest child is 23, but I was a very very involved parent throughout my kids' education. 
I can't remember one time my, my kids sitting down and, and, and actually talking about what they were studying in school and it involving the UN. That's where it's got to start. I mean, if you really, really want to push the message that the UN is a necessary body um, in, in, the, in the future of the world, then you've got to start at the, you got to start the, at the school level because I tell you right now, it's not happening. It's not at all. All right. Fair enough. Carl Tubin, last word real well, quickly. The thing is, is that when the U.S. started, Irving Caesar, uh, a, a wonderful composer, had all kinds of songs about the United Nations. He went from school to school throughout the country talking about the United Nations, singing the songs. And, and I was, I was uh, introduced uh-huh. to the United Nations through that. And I think, I think that you've got to have to kind of do that again. So recruit Lady Gaga? (laughs) (laughs) Whoever. Okay. That being the case. All right. That being the case, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the polling and the latest. We're going to go back to presidential politics. But this is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then... The great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. We're still live, Congressman. I know, but we're losing panel. Uh, They'll come back. They'll come back. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to go back to presidential politics here. Uh, Monday is the first debate of the general election season between one businessman, Donald J. Trump of New York, and one former Secretary of State Senator Hillary Clinton of also New York, ironically. Uh, They will go head-to-head in a debate 
on stage, hosted by who's the first one hosted by? No, Is this Lester Holt? Lester Holt. Yeah, Lester Holt. When, when Anderson Cooper. Up. That's the second one. The, the, that's the, 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 bad mouth. Yeah, that, that's the uh, the. the the town hall. The town hall. Town hall, so, right. And, uh, but this one is going to be a formal debate uh, moderated by NBC's Lester Holt. Uh, the question is, what are the expectations for this? Is there somebody that can really prove their point, or is this going to damage somebody? Congressman Al, I will start with you. Who's got? Who's in the position to best benefit from this head-to-head debate right now, Clinton or Trump? Depends on... Who out talks the other one? Uh, and you can't you can't underestimate Donald Trump's ability to just talk, <coughs> throw enough bullshit in the air that family show, Congressman. But keep going. It'll so, spread all over the family. Okay, know? there we go. Mr. Clinton is probably to do just the same. Yeah. Well, no, she's not. Well, why not, Congressman Al? Well, she. She's because she's not Bill. Uh, I mean, she, she does not have the ability to talk in short sentences that, and and to demagogue, very frankly, the way uh, Donald Trump does. Go ahead, Dan Lipner. So this is the thing that that worries me since the bar has been set so low for the Donald. Um, basically, if he, and much like his trip to Mexico. Because he didn't use a racial slur with the president of Mexico on stage with him, it was a huge successful trip. Um, so I, I, I am concerned that the bar is set so incredibly low that he can do almost nothing but win from the from the first debate. But it's also worth noting that the team Clinton, and I will only base this on what has leaked out, that I'm a little worried they're trying to get a little too cute by half. And I'm thinking back on the the Bush v. Gore debate. At one point, the uh, Al Gore had tried to use the uh, being too cute by half, trying to put his, his height and disproportional size to, to the camera where he actually came up behind George W. Bush during the town hall debate to try and show the difference since there is actually subtle things that can happen when people disproport, uh, see size differences, like who's actually in charge. Unfortunately, he did it so inartfully, everyone figured it out instantly. So I am concerned that as opposed to being a substantive debate on both sides, which Trump is incapable of engaging in, and the Clinton and Hillary Clinton, while absolutely capable of engaging in, will not focus on and try one of these stunts. Admiral Chen, it really depends on the moderator. And the reason I say that, if you go back to the debates where Jorge Ramos from uh, Univision took place, that thing was a goat rope. It was nuts. It was crazy. If the moderators, one, ask questions that are substantive, that, that require substantive answers, then you're going you're gonna to show there's going to be a real difference in the, uh, in, in the candidates. Uh, Clinton, you know, for her inability to, to, to artfully and quickly communicate her thoughts um, would best be served in that in that type of forum. If it's going to be a point 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 counterpoint, it's going to generate into mother jokes. Then Trump's going to win that. Hopefully, they will let it go that way. Alan Moore. Yeah, I, I 
I know something about how this stuff gets put together. They're very careful in selecting moderators. Occasionally, they'll they will find themselves in a situation where a moderator goes outside the parameters. Candy Crowley famously did that um, when when Romney and and Obama were debating, um, and and basically corrected. Uh, Romney, which is not arguably the primary responsibility of the moderator. That's the that's a primary responsibility of the other person on the stage. The moderator needs to know know what he or she is talking about and be prepared to step in and and guide, but not not to correct. Now, I'm going to be there next Monday. I'll be up in the in the audience. I've been at I was at the first debate four years ago when Romney did so well. This was in Colorado did so well against Obama to everybody's surprise, partly because Obama was lackadaisical. It wasn't, it wasn't about the moderator. I think these moderators, I mean, they, they have a job and as long as they carry out their job they they, they should not be the story and they should not determine the winner. And, and, and I don't think I can think of an example where um, in, in a, in a presidential debate where the moderator obviously um, made a huge difference with the possible exception of, of Candy Crowley jumping in the way she did. Um, uh, eight years ago, I was at Hofstra when it was Obama and McCain. Um, and, and that one was different because there was a lot of curiosity about Obama, how he would do. And, and then McCain had never been in a, in a forum like that. I think, though, that, that I, I, I do agree with Dan that the, that the bar for Trump is lower. We have such low expectations that when he comes across as sort of reasoned and not nasty and not name calling and, and maybe a little bit thoughtful. Is, is, over, is that possible in his well, homeland? Look, he every time he gives a speech where he uses the teleprompter and and for example, when he said, you know, I know that sometimes I say things um, that 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 can be hurtful and I really don't mean to do that. Everybody's like, oh, my God, listen, the guy's got a heart, and he gets all this credit for saying something that, that you shouldn't get credit for saying. It's just that it was out of character and not expected. So the, 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 the expectation, you know, here's, here's, here's poor Secretary Clinton, who's struggling with this, this untrustworthy, unlikable factor that, that a majority of Americans feel towards her. How do you fix that? And and you're you know way more about every subject than there's time for, and way more than than Donald Trump is, knows, and way more than a lot of people want to hear. Bob Hines. It's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting thing. Alan just said something very accurate. The the public has a um, I think a, a, a something uh, a feeling about Mrs. Clinton that I think is, is pretty permanent. It's, it's not, I'm sure, what she would like it to be. Uh, I know she's going to work as hard as she can to uh, appear to be open and, and trying to be clear to everybody. But, uh, you know, and I hope she is, has some success. But, you know, she does have a, a real problem with a lot of the public. Is, is this an opportunity that she could possibly fix that? I, well, it would, be an, it would be an opportunity that she should take and try. Okay. Very much so. I think it's very important the way she approaches the thing, because a lot of the, a lot of the public are not unhappy with are not happy with her. Carl Tubin. Well, you know, 
they're they they're only about a point of uh, point of separating the two of them. She's not. I mean, it doesn't come out like it comes out. Oh no, she's not way down. No, but you know, they're they're both kind of you know. Well, but who who needs him and who needs her? Well, yeah, he. So the Republicans are no heroes either. Right. Exactly. But the thing the thing is is that. Uh, again, she has got to be uh, on her toes. She's got to to really hit hard on on her issues. Talk about what she wants to do in the next administration, which is new and exciting, and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, bring people back in because there'll be a contrast, as uh, Holt will say. Well, what are you going to do, Mr. Trump, on that issue? And hopefully it will be more. Well, all right, Admiral Ken. So two things. So Trump Trump will do well if if he, he comes into the debate with um, some substance and some concrete ideas um, that may may even be new and different than, than what's being done now. Um, Secretary Clinton will do well. If she can, one, get Trump off his game, and she can do that by pissing him off, which is not very tough to do, and then deliver the substance. If she can, if, if she can do that, in both of them, it'll, it'll be a drop. But uh, quite frankly, I will be, it'll be interesting to see whether Trump can hold his nerve because she's going to go for it because she knows that's how you, that's how you get under a bully's skin. All right, it's going to happen. Fair enough. Uh, expectation, Clinton or Trump winning the debate on Monday? Bob? Flip a coin. Congressman Al? Uh, Hillary. Hillary? Admiral Ken? I think Secretary Clinton's going to win. Go ahead, Carl. Clinton. Alan Moore? I was going to say, how can I possibly, how can we possibly know? But since we've got three people who guess. are so certain it's a that guess. it will be. It's like your blood game. people who are so convinced it will be Hillary. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing that, that uh, first of all, their, their, their spokespeople are going to claim that they won. So we're going to hear this cacophony. Beef or chicken. Beef or chicken. So I, I think that it'll be Trump. You think it'll be I Trump? I do. I do. He's got, yeah. the, he's got the easier task. <laughs> wow. Uh, the correct answer here is Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hillary's got the right. <laughs> this is an opportunity. If Hillary Clinton goes in with the stated, cool, teacher-in-the-front-of-the-room attitude and just and does a couple of, oh, Donald, <laughs> you know, a couple of those, I think that benefits Clinton. And God... God willing, she's done so much debate prep, like 30 days worth of de- debate prep. If she's not 100% ready for this, then it's her own fault. This is her campaign to lose. The best piece, the best piece of advice I got before I, I got my first command was always, 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 under all circumstances, be unflappable. If she can do that, she's going to win. Okay, with that, uh, it is now time for my favorite part of the show. It is Tell Me a Story, where we talk about the latest innuendo, news, rumor, Going around the Bellaway inside and out. Bob Hines, tell me a story. Nothing today. All right, Admiral uh, uh, Congressman Allen, tell me a story. 
Nothing today. Wow, this is going to be easy. Admiral <laughs> Ken, tell so, me a story. Right down to San Antonio, um, two things. I'm going to plug La Quintero Resort. If you haven't been, even if you don't golf. They don't sponsor us. Have to buy ads. Place is awesome. I went down to San Antonio to uh, participate in the retirement of uh, one of my flag classmates. And what I mean by that, this is one of the gentlemen that was promoted to Admiral at the same time as, as me. Uh, and uh, I want to I want to give a kudos uh, kudos to my my good friend Grandma Ron McLaren, who on Saturday concluded 37 years of service to our nation and to the Navy. It was a fabulous ceremony, uh, a lot of crying, a lot of laughing. It was fantastic. Wow, fantastic! Congratulations, Admiral McLaren. We good friend of the show, good friend of Shelley's. Go ahead, Carl Tubin, tell me a story. One of the things that uh, that that everybody missed, I, I assume, when uh, when Trump went off and, and said, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a terrorist attack, etc. When it was all finished and came out that it was a terrorist attack, he turned to some people and said, you know, I might make a very good newsman. <laughs> and, I, and I said to myself, go do it. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Moore, tell me a story. Yeah, so for... For some time, I've, it, it, has bothered, it has troubled me when Hillary Clinton spends so much of her time in public talking about Donald Trump's shortcomings. And what she's done, uh, I think, is lowered herself, A, and, and also muddied up her own message so, so that people say, what's Hillary for? Well, I don't know, but more of the same, because it's hard to, to, for the average person to say, well, where, where is she going to lead us? What exactly is she going to do? She's got a fabulous resume, but is she a leader in where she's going to lead us? And I thought the, the, the job of, of taking on Trump needs to be the job of Tim Kaine, Joe Biden, and Barack Obama. They've done some of that. Unfortunately, in my judgment, today was not the time at the U.N. where Obama is giving his last speech He's got this credibility problem leading a conversation about, about what to do about refugees, where the U.S. has come up very short, in, in, in my uh, humble opinion. And, and he, without naming Trump, took Trump on with a line that got some applause, but I don't think it helps Hillary Clinton in this election when he said, those who build walls imprison themselves. Yeah. Well, there aren't any members of Congress today who want to do immigration reform without saying control our borders first, right. whether it's a wall, fences, fancy electronics, border security. So I just found it odd yeah. and, a, and, a, and a misapplication of the president's uh, bully pulpit. Right. And, and you're not the only one that sought that. Congressman Al, you do have a story. Tell me a story. The press has been kind of strange of late. I think the press has finally got offended by Donald Trump. Uh, what they do about it, I don't know. And I don't expect to see in this first debate uh, a single moderator doing much. But that second debate may be where the media may, in fact, take him on on misstatements, statements that aren't true, and so forth, more than they usually would, because they're tired of him pushing them around, basically. Right. Well, good point. Uh, my story is, is that uh, late last week, 
uh, the police chief here in Washington, D.C., Kathy Lanier, went 10 set of an end of watch for the last time. Uh, Kathy Lanier has done remarkable things in this city. Uh, she has managed to keep this city safe. She has managed to keep a very high profile and a very politically divisive community. She is the one person who has kept the highest public approval ratings of any politician or any public figure in D.C. government, and she did it all while doing 27 years as a police officer. Uh, Paid her own way through law school, worked her way up through the commands. She has done a great job. There are detractors, but for the most part, number one, as a resident of D.C., I want to thank her for keeping keeping our safe and secure city safe and secure. As a friend, I am so happy that and honored that she that she'll call me friend, and that I am thankful that she was police chief. I wish her all the best of luck in a great job as vice president of security for the National Football League. So, uh, good on you. Wish you fair winds the following season, Chief Kathy Lanier. With that, on behalf of Bob Hines, Congressman Al Swift, Admiral Ken Carradine. Carl Tubin, Alan Moore, Dan Littner, who bailed a little bit early, so I'll still give him press for it. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday with our post-debate coverage on Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bob? The place to be. Absolutely. You can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. You can follow us on Twitter, at Backroom Politics. And you can find my contributions on Sidewire, the political app downloaded today for political news without the noise. You can send your comments, your concerns, and your fan mail, justin at backroompolitics.org. We will be back next Tuesday. Have a great week, America. This is Backroom Politics.